welcome to the very first episode 14 of the podcast Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer and as always we're coming to you live from London in the heart of Fintech up here in level 39. I'm joined this week by my colleague at 11FS, Jason Bates. And as always, we've got a great show for you coming up. We're talking today about something that's on the tip of pretty much everybody's tongue right now, APIs. To discuss this topic this week, we've got some great guests for you. Today we have Lida Glyptis, Director of Sapient Global Markets. We have Megan Kaywood, who is the Director of Marketplace Platform at Starling Bank. We have Marcus Sakaridis, who is the Assistant Professor at Warwick Business School and Research Fellow at University of Cambridge. And because you've been such good listeners so far, we've got a little bit of a bonus for you as well. We have Alex Lipton, who is a Connection Science Fellow at MIT, coming on to talk about the interesting research that MIT have been doing around fintech at the moment. So strap yourself in, guys. This is going to be a good one. Let's get into it with what's been happening in the news this week. Fantastic. And on the news today, we have got a stellar lineup for you today. Shall we do a quick introductions and go around? So would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Um, I'm Marcos Zachariadis. I'm an assistant professor at Warwick Business School and a fintech research fellow at the University of Cambridge. Uh, I've been doing research on fintech for about a decade now, starting from the LSE and then moving to Cambridge and now at Warwick. Nice. Fintech before it was fintech. That's always good to hear. Indeed. Do. Yes. <laughs> cool. I'm Megan Kaywood and I am the director of Marketplace Platform at Starling Bank. So that's leading API strategy, the design development of Marketplace, um, and then also those partnerships that compose that Marketplace. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm Lita Glyptis. I work in the digital practice of Sapient Consulting. I was in fintech before it was famous, before there were cookies, sad. Then a banker doing everything the wrong way around and now working with banks um, leading digital transformation. Nice. Fantastic. So today you've got myself and Jason because we have, uh, so Chris Skinner is out sunning himself in Bali and Simon Taylor is off in New York, I believe. So I feel like less booyah now. Yeah, (laughs) it does. You know, I'm loving London, but it doesn't feel quite as nice. Particularly like Chris has this terrible habit of putting pictures on Facebook where he is, which Kind of makes me hate him a little bit more every time he does it. But uh, but anyway, we love you guys. We, we do miss you. Moving into what we've got up today. So the first news item which we sort of found was, was interesting was in the Financial Times. So the FT says big banks miss out on fintech investment opportunities, which kind of feels like an interesting statement to make, Jason. What do you make of this one? Well, interesting kind of, yes, totally agree. But actually, when you sort of dive down into it, it's essentially commenting on a, a BCG report that's found some superly sensible statements on the fact that fintech solutions could lower costs in some areas by more than 50% and that a large proportion of capital markets costs, including 75% of IT costs and non-differentiating. And then it, it uh, finishes with the amazing statement of uh, BCG said fintech could be could also be used to improve bank services by tracking client satisfaction and creating a more personalized experience. So I'm not sure quite you know what we learn from it. it seems like a bit of a statement of the obvious. Uh, I don't know what the panel think. Far it be from me to criticize such a report but there is a danger that if the term is used to mean absolutely everything, you will find something. So if fintech is the absolute catch-all to mean investment in startups, scale-ups, and pretty established companies that do interesting things, and emergent technologies, and established technologies that you weren't using up until recently, then all of a sudden the body of investment that is both differentiating and industry sustaining becomes huge. Mm. 
And what have you found, really, that efficiency and innovation and product development kind of hinge on technology? Yes. Yeah. So is this BCG just making a really obvious statement, but doing it in very big mainstream media, as in the FT type thing? So is this the sort of convergence of our hipster lifestyle as sort of fintech people type thing and the mainstream media, do you think? We have finally arrived. I know. I think there's an absolute element of that. Uh, We've gone from fighting for a place in the sun and airspace to talk about what we do to being an item that needs to be filled and there is a lot of variation in the quality and the quantity of what goes in there. I mean, this fintech thing means very different things to us around this table and to someone who only realized that it's a thing a few months ago. I think these reports are useful for the executives that came late to the party who Mm. need to understand what might be in the space and how much learning they have to do and how much money might take to actually catch up with the various elements. But beyond that, I I don't see much education in that. I mean, I guess they're looking at specifically here investment (coughs) banks talking specifically about capital (coughs) markets not an area I know a lot of a lot about. It seems lots of fintech uh, is focusing on that retail side, is focusing on the consumer side. And while we've got seen this move towards SME banking and you know a move along the beach in terms of the the kinds of offerings and how fintechs attacking them, you know, is fintech reaching capital markets? Because I guess that's what this is hinting at. It, it's reaching capital markets in the sense that there is the old discretionary fund associated with the portfolio diversifying investment that tends to be so diluted that by the time it reaches said company, it doesn't change their life, but it keeps them on on life support for a while. It also allows the company in question, usually an early stage startup, to get access and enter the endless treadmill of meeting after meeting after meeting, where they their hopes are, are, are inflated and they get access. They serve an immense educational function for the, um, the institutional bank, the sort of deep end bank. But fundamentally, they present two choices, either buy from us, and us in this occasion is usually three dudes and a hamster, and becomes a, a, a massive compliance and procurement challenge that is extremely hard to negotiate, or buy us and completely transform your business model and value chain um, monetization, which becomes a conversation for the board that is just not pitched at the right level. So without dealing with either of those, you have this endless cycle of POCs that become negotiating chips in a room where the startup doesn't sit. Enough investment and enough spend, whichever way you look at it, to keep the conversation going, but not enough of either to make the startup accelerate and grow mm. or the bank truly transform. What do you think, Marcos? Is, is this a kind of area have you looked at in terms of <laughs> fintech research and, and following the trends? I guess my point would be more about the regulatory accreditation, which I think is a fair point to make. You know, it's good to see that in a report that will essentially push a lot of the fintech startups to kind of consider how they would go about and kind of regulate themselves in any way that the regulation kind of allows in the, in the near future and, and enable them to kind of work together with bigger banks. And the other point, I guess, which uh, could be maybe kind of a, a tricky thing to say in, in such a report, I think they, 
They kind of mentioned that research found that a large proportion of capital markets costs, including 75% of IT costs, are non-differentiating. And these could be handed over to fintechs. I'm not sure how many fintechs are into the non-differentiating uh, kind of innovation at this point in time. So yeah, so it's not a particularly sexy area to move into, is it? In terms of doing it, we're, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot more innovation coming in back office stuff. Though I think you know, with all of the kind of advents around blockchain and actually, you know, even core banking, which is arguably been the the sort of millstone around most people's neck necks for the last sort of twenty years type thing. We're seeing pretty innovative things sort of coming through in that space. But I still do think this one is kind of semi BCG stating the obvious, but I think we're probably reaching slightly to try and make um, make a little bit more. Oh we can make a story out of it. We can. <laughs> so friend of the show and uh, if you sort of listen to the um, the Berlin episode that we did a couple of weeks ago, Solaris Bank has um, signed off a partnership with MasterCard, which as they sort of state in the article gives the access to about 210 countries and 43 million acceptance points around the world, which is kind of a quite a big leapfrog there in terms of sort of doing stuff. So, you know, well done to Solaris in terms of getting this one in terms of where they are with, with MasterCard. But um, any views from anybody? MasterCard has been, has been good in two ways. Latency. So it actually works when you la- layer the fintech offering on, on top of their infrastructure. And, and that's a thing. And that's a thing that their competitors haven't gotten right. So thumbs up there. And secondly, their procurement and compliance folks have worked out the partnership agreements. In a post-PST2 world, all of those partnerships and all of those layers of of value-added services don't solve the issue of what are you for and what do you do that justifies the price point in a world and regulatory framework, as Marco said, that forces you to unbundle that. So they've been exceptionally well-positioned so far have definitely done better by design or happy accident up until now. But those things that differentiated them up until now won't carry them in the post PST2 world. So it'll be interesting to see how they will manage to reinvent themselves.